2: thank you so much I know we have one person who's a Patreon member here is there anyone else who happens to be a member of ours on Patreon you too hi there these two are members of our, our Patreon that means that their support their financial support and donations uh, helped fund this tour and they're the reason that we're able to be here tonight so thank you guys so much. much so much yeah. thank you guys so much okay shall we hop in yeah let's do yeah. this Okay,
0: so what are some of your favorite self-help books? I remember growing up, I read Chicken Soup for the Soul, which is kind of a self-help book, but <laughs> they had like fifty other Chicken Soups. Uh-huh. Um, do we have any like favorite self-help books out there? Four agreements.
2: Four agreements. Four agreements. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Another one. The what? Yeah. yeah that's that's obviously, awesome. classic. Of- which one? Our bodies, ourselves. Yeah. Very classic. Lovely. Very classic. Yes. I'm really into the Power of Now. I'm really into the Eckhart Tolle thing. Mm-hmm. What else we got?
1: Uh, I read The Multi-Orgasmic Man. I don't know if anyone else yeah. has read okay. that book.
2: That's <laughs> some, some self-help <laughs> over there, yeah. for sure, for sure. Um, is anyone familiar with the title, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Her, right, has anyone read it? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I I didn't read the adult version when I was a teenager. I was forced to read the teenage version, <laughs> um, the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. Um, mm-hmm. And to be honest, I don't remember any of it. The one part that I remember is there was a list of fifty reasons you're not ready to have sex. Oh God. <laughs> um, that's the only thing that stuck out in my mind. And one of the I revisited that list today. I Googled it. Oh, really? Um the, one of the reasons was if you don't want to catch HIV and I was like well does that mean no one's ready to have sex yeah
0: exactly that's
2: crazy Um, and in case you're wondering they don't have that listed in the adult version at least not that I know of
1: (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, so this book came out in 1989 uh, right? Is yeah, that right? Several yes. reprints
2: since then. Of course. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it's sold over 25 million copies. It has lots of buzzwords that are still being used today. It's
2: effective. Synergize. Yeah, I think it brought synergize oh, yeah. into, the, into the public's psyche. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, one of the things that this made us think about is a topic that's come up for us in polyamory and, and also part of why we wanted to start this podcast is that for most of us out there, there's not a ton of role models and examples of healthy, non-monogamous relationships. That, you know, most of us grew up with... I don't want to always say they're good, but we had lots of role models for what monogamous relationships should look like. Mm -hmm. For a lot of us, it was our parents. It's also all the sitcoms on TV. Right, all our books and movies. All our celebrities. Right, (laughs) all of that. Um, And so we kind of wanted to look at this idea of, as a non-monogamous person we don't just get yeah. handed all those role models. We mm-hmm. have to kind of seek them out. Mm-hmm. Which is actually, like, it's a little more work, but it's kind of an advantage. Because I don't know about you guys, but as far as, like, an ideal relationship, my parents probably not the yeah. best. My
2: parents definitely not. Example? <laughs> my
1: parents were in an affair in Me, so
0: probably not that either. <laughs>
1: right. So, you know, not that they're bad people, but I don't yeah. want those relationships. No. <laughs> no. So we do have the advantage of being able to seek those out On our own. So what we did in creating this topic that we're going to talk about today is the seven habits of highly effective poly people.
2: And we're not going to give you reasons not to have sex.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Definitely, definitely not. We will encourage it, actually.
2: And keep in mind, you know, as we delve into this list... um, a, a lot of these things are not exclusive to poly relationships or non-traditional relationships. A lot of these things are just for good relationships in general. Absolutely. So w- wherever it is wherever it is you are tonight, if you're single, if you're monogamous, if you're poly, if you're anywhere on that spectrum, chances are that this will still apply to you and hopefully help you to kind of have some clarity and some mindfulness about what qualities can really make your relationships better.
1: Yeah, and so these were created from those role models that we've had, the people that we've looked at and said, "Yeah, even if it's not their whole relationship, but that part of what they do is awesome. I want to emulate that." Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, this part of my relationships have been pretty awesome. Like, how did I get that? Okay, great. Now, how can I take these things from the other people and kind of put those together to see so what were be the like common... a Frankenstein's
2: monster of a relationship <laughs> advice for you tonight? Exactly.
1: Right. Uh, so with that, we're just going to start going through the seven. Uh, and we'll have... You guys, you know, feel free to, to shout things out as we go along. We might have some questions for you as we go. Uh, but let's just get this started. Mm-hmm. So number one uh, is communication.
2: And I know, like, as soon I want as, to hear yeah. the groan. Yeah, waiting. as soon as you oh. say that, everyone's like, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's like low-hanging fruit <laughs> yes. in the relationship <laughs> advice world." It's like communication, communication, communication.
1: Like,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but what we want to talk about specifically is something that we've found in particularly effective relationships is not just like, "Oh, their communication's good," but it's that they're willing to use tools to make their communication better. Mm-hmm. They're willing to use systems and tools. Mm-hmm. And I think something we've run into in terms of resistance to this is people thinking, oh, well, if I have to use some kind of tool for communication, like using nonviolent communication techniques or using like
2: reflecting or mirroring or right, all these, these different yeah, things that, or anything. Yeah.
1: that it means you've somehow failed or you're like your relationship isn't good enough because yeah. we're kind of taught this myth that once you meet the right person, you don't have to do any work. It's the all communication just is easy. like
2: super easy then. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, I mean
2: to be honest, mm-hmm. you know that is our impression when we first get into relationships, you know when we're all drunk or falling everything just clicks. Yes, everything just perfect. clicks because you're talking about all, you know, you're talking about bunnies and sex and how much you're attracted <laughs> to each other and so of course it's easy for communication to be natural and just flow. Mm-hmm. Um but when you actually have to delve into conflict resolution, you know, that's when it comes time where you know maybe just your instincts about communication may not be the healthiest because Surprise, surprise, those are also things that were frequently modeled to us by our parents. And even bigger surprise, probably also not very healthy. Yeah. At least not mm-hmm. in my, my scenario.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like right. So, so on the subject of communication, and with each of these seven tactics, we do want to leave you with some specific tools to actually use. Like an
0: actionable thing, exactly. Yeah.
1: So the first of those that we want to talk about is using Agile Scrum in your relationship. Does anyone here work in software development or is familiar with Agile Scrum? Yeah, I Anyone
0: okay. see, uh, what's the TV show where this was on there?
1: Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, Valley.
0: Yeah. 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 They talk about Agile Scrum and that.
2: Right, so basically... Can you, can you describe to us in lay terms what Agile Scrum is? <laughs> yeah. uh, no. no? Okay. okay, no problem. Can, can, can you describe to us in lay terms what Agile Scrum is?
1: Probably not. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, let me give you the super quick cliff notes version. <laughs> basically, uh, Agile Scrum is this technique for workflow management for developing software projects. It was developed originally in Japan by some software companies there. has been widely adopted in Silicon Valley. Not just the show, but the actual place. <laughs> uh, and uh, basically what it's about is rather than saying... We're starting here, and in a year and a half, we need to have this project done here 's all the things it needs to have by then go instead it 's saying, okay, here 's what we want to have done in a week now let 's check in in a week and see how did we do? Did we meet those things? Like what do we have working already it 's trying to find like what 's the next sort of low hanging fruit? Like what are the pieces we can do right now mm-hmm. to get this thing working mm-hmm. uh, and there 's kind of a whole system around it. Uh, but we have an episode where we talk about this technique of applying Agile Scrum to your, relationships. To your relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it doesn't sound sexy already, I'm just right? wait.
2: <laughs> just wait.
1: And basically what that means is you set a regular meeting, you set how long your sprint to use the terminology, is going to be, uh, which we recommend a month. Yeah. And it's you said m- once a month you're going to have a meeting in that relationship. And you could have these in all of your relationships. We have one every week for multi-amory. Mm-hmm. Dedeker and I have one every month for our relationship. Mm-hmm. I have one every couple months in another relationship yeah, just because we're bad about scheduling. <laughs> uh, but what it is is there's this certain structure that you follow mm-hmm. where you start by reviewing what's happened over the past month or week, You talk about uh, how did you do on the stuff you said you would do last time. Then you decide what you're going to discuss. You discuss it, (laughs) and then you make action points. Like, these are the actual things we're going to do during this month or Mm -hmm. during this week. And then you end it with an appreciation round. And this is n- not in the normal software Scrum, I think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but we but, like to
0: appreciate each other afterwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but
1: it's because you can because this can get really heavy. Yeah, like, yeah. The thing, the thing that can be shed.
2: We've been tr- trying out this like Agile Scrum thing for maybe three or four months now, and and it's really fascinating is that in that discussion period that you can hit everything from like, oh, let's figure out the schedule of when we go visit your mom to like, hey, I felt like my boundaries were violated last week. Exactly. Um, to mm-hmm. like oh, Hey, like I, I didn't tell you about this thing. It happened at work, you know, like all in the space of like an hour. Yeah. Um, or I want to write my own play this year and
0: it, yes, it can be like a specific yeah, personal exactly. thing as well. Um, mm-hmm. And
1: so, or when Dedeker's been traveling, it's me being like, "Yeah, I miss you
2: so much. <laughs> uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so the interesting thing is that, like, it you know, it sounds really robotic. It sounds really dry. It sounds like, well, like, don't you talk about things normally? And like, you do talk about things organically and normally throughout the course of the month, but it's kind of like creating this space for communication for like really serious, really intentional communication and not yeah. just relying on when we have the time, when we're in the right mood that these things mm-hmm. will come up. Um, and seriously, for as dry and robotic it sounds, like I swear by it now. Yeah,
1: it's, I, it's really yeah. incredible. It's been, amazing. Like, one of the best things we've ever done. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Yeah.
2: Um, and especially for um, being able to kind of delay arguments, which sounds like mm. a bad thing, but it's kind of <laughs> like if I know at the end of this week we're having a scrum meeting, like maybe it's something where it's like, okay, well, I know... I'll bring it up at a scrum meeting, but now I can just focus on us just being together and happy and relaxed and not have to drag us into a fight when we're about to go out to dinner or whatever, you know. know.
0: Um, And it gives you a really safe container to be able to talk about these things. mm -hmm. So often, if you're like in a very volatile situation with your partner, things can be said that you don't really mean. And if you know that the scrum is there, you can really take the time to think about it and then bring that to the table when the meeting
2: happens. mm So yeah. to kind of bring this full circle is, is there is this, there can be this sense of resistance to mm-hmm. relying on a tool or relying on a system of mm-hmm. feeling like, well, that does that mean I'm a bad communicator because I need this crutch? Um, but if anything, I feel like especially people who seek out nontraditional relationships, this willingness to seek out tools and seek out systems and seek out things that are outside the box is actually a great boon, is actually a great strength. Um, mm-hmm because, I mean, you know, for most people in this community you're already in a relationship that's outside of the box. Yeah. You, know, you may as well make sure that uh, all your tools are outside the box
1: as well. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Do we have time to talk about the Triforce real quick? Uh, sure, real go quick. Go. All right. One other thing, and we have episodes about both of these if you want to check out more of it. Uh, this other one we call the Triforce of Communication.
0: Legend of Zelda fans out there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> think, yeah. Uh,
1: and basically this is breaking down This is based on some work by Kathy Labriola, uh, and we've adapted this for ourselves. And it's basically saying that all communication falls into one of three categories. And I know that's like a big simplification of things. But anything either falls into sharing something for the sake of intimacy. Like I'm just telling you a story about my life so you can get to know me and so we can just share things together. The second one is because I want acknowledgement, like praise, or because I want support and just like, oh, I'm, like, that really sucks. I'm so sorry you're having a hard time with that. Or the third one is because you actually want to solve a problem. This is where you want advice. Notice that those are not the same thing. <laughs> Two and no. three are different. Yes. When you want support, that doesn't always mean you want advice. Uh, and basically the, the purpose of this is that if you understand communication falls into those three and you know which one you're looking for, you can actually ask for it. Yeah, it's and called communication which is like
2: communicating about your communication to your partner. <laughs> exactly. It's getting right. real inception on it.
1: Yeah, uh, And this, like, check out the episode about this one, because this has also really changed things in a lot of my relationships. Mm-hmm. But it's often your partner will come to you with, like, I'm having a really hard time with this. Whether it's in another relationship, it's at work, it's with something with your own mm-hmm. relationship. Whatever it is, you can kind of pause before you immediately jump into giving advice or something and say... What are you? What are you looking for right now? Which part of the Triforce is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you just want support, or do you want advice? And sometimes, if they go, "Oh well, I guess advice would be good," you're not like forcing it on them. They asked for it, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. and it's made a huge difference in mm-hmm. terms of being able to receive that in a positive mindset. Yeah. 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 And
2: usually, we just have to make a note that some, like, you know, the classic example is a very gendered example of like. You know, the woman comes to the man with a problem And she just wants a shoulder to cry on And he tries to fix her problem And then there's and a then fight she feels
1: not hurt Yeah, that's yeah. the typical gendered
2: example I will say that um, that does happen in my own life It's usually reversed I'm the one who, if <laughs> someone comes to me with a problem I'm like, okay, this is what you're going to do to fix it mm-hmm. in- Instead of, you know, don't cry on me Oh <laughs> gosh <laughs> like Okay. All right,
1: On to number two. Number two. Yes. So
2: number two is sexually
0: proactive, not reactive. So we've all been in relationships where, okay, we're dating a bunch of people, we're really excited, and then all of a sudden we get to a sexual situation, and, oh, shit, we don't have a condom, we're just going to have sex right now. Um, and the nice thing about removing barriers um, when talking about sex is that you can communicate about those things beforehand. Like, hey... What is your sexual history? How many partners do you have? When was the last time you got tested? Mm -hmm. The really nice thing about non-monogamy is that those are put into place. Communication is already there, and it's already something that we're doing. And so you're not just jumping into a relationship and saying, like, oh, I'm going to have sex with you right now. So
2: the idea being that you're not reactive, as in it's not when you're, like, you guys are half undressed that you're like, let's talk about protection. (sighs) (laughs) let's talk about the last time you got
4: tested. (laughs) Um, Exactly. That
2: like maybe this pre sex safety talk happens all the way on your first date. Mm Yeah. You know, like when you're not even in a sexual situation and not, and not like bringing it up because you're assuming that you're going to have sex, but finding a way to just mention like, this is what's going on in my life. This is the status of my dating life. These Mm -hmm. are the people I'm having protected sex or unprotected sex with. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this happened to me on a first date once where I didn't even end up having sex with the guy. He just brought up as a part of his – he had this whole – he was telling me about how he had this whole, um, like, change in his life his that he time. was eating better and taking care of himself and kind of wanting to have more integrity. And he just mentioned, like, and part of that is, like, a dedication to having safe sex. And mm-hmm. And, like, he just brought that in mm-hmm. just to make it clear and put it on the table. And I felt like, oh, like – I feel so much better that, like, this is now open for discussion now and not when we're in the middle of the moment and, like, not wanting to kill the moment um, and not wanting to make things awkward. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I've also found that uh, I did this, you know, on a first date, talked about safe sex and things like that, just, again, kind of working it into the conversation. I think it was like, oh, yeah, recently for this podcast I do, we recorded an episode about safe sex. (laughs) And we had that conversation. uh, And, you know, she listened and was like, okay, cool and then i think on our second date you know we just you know went home didn't have sex that night and on our second date a couple of weeks later i i maybe brought it up again and then she was like oh yeah i did i wanted to talk to you about that uh, and you know talk to me about her status of things and we were able to have that conversation again before we were anywhere near the bedroom mm-hmm. and and it was great and it was fine and it was positive but it was kind of creating that safe space, like, proactively mm-hmm. saying, hey, sex is a thing that's okay to talk about. Mm-hmm. This isn't something we have to pretend we're not interested in and pretend doesn't exist until it does.
0: And this includes also talking about things in the bedroom. A lot of times, um, it, people don't want to talk about what they do or do not like in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. this is being proactive about that as well, like, continuing your communication, saying, hey, I don't like that position, or hey, do this a little more. Yeah, and I think creating it pol- a It falls under that
2: that same myth of like if if the chemistry is there, you won't have to negotiate what your sex is going to be like, or you won't have to negotiate what feels good or what feels bad. It'll just happen. And good God, like. For so many years, I have like squirmed and wrestled myself into weird positions, trying to get bad sex to feel good, <laughs> um, because I didn't have the you know the guts to just say, "Hey, can we try this?" or yep. "Could you do this?" Um, mm-hmm. And once you kind of get over that obstacle, like you'll probably have much better sex. Yep. Amazingly. Yeah,
1: I've i found that since becoming more used to that, if I'm ever with someone who doesn't communicate pretty directly, or or at least is comfortable explaining that, it can mm-hmm. be. A little challenge. difficult. It can be like, can, okay, can I please get some information here? Like, <laughs> well, what?
2: something something that's very helpful with that uh-huh. is instead of asking somebody like, like, are you having a good time or is this okay? Because right. kind of the default to be polite is just to be like, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's being very specific. It's being like, do you like this? More firm or more soft, or do you like this faster or slower? Like giving the actual option, you know, kind of being the optometrist, as um, it were. A, um, <laughs> a or B, like do you, first or second, <laughs> yeah. first or second. <laughs> I've never, fine. I've never slept with an optometrist. Maybe that. I, maybe they the have best, in really? an
0: optometrist chair. Whoa, it was pretty awesome. whoa!
2: Everyone should try oh, it. I did not know that story. <laughs> did really? he, was he very? Did like
0: was it? It wasn't an A or B moment. <laughs> This was before I had all of this knowledge just wow. in my brain. Yeah. I want to know more about
2: this story <laughs> later on. Okay. Ooh, okay. Moving on. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't want to move on, but, yeah. but we will. Okay, number three. Okay, number three. Um, yes. We titled this... You can do the thing, um, because Jace hates the word that I love, which is self-efficacy. Um, does anyone know the term self-efficacy? It's not
1: no. really... Exactly. That's it, what I'm talking about.
2: What? I,
0: because <laughs> yeah. only a couple because people Because the, the smart people
2: <laughs> going to the conference know it?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, Dennegar, define it. Okay, you guys. So self-efficacy. Um, it's a little bit difficult to pin down, but it's... It's one part like belief in yourself, it's one part self-confidence, it's one part self-esteem, it's one part ability to just kind of bounce back from obstacles. Essentially, it's this idea that you have this trust and this knowledge in yourself and confidence in your own abilities um, to either accomplish something or to adapt. So it, the, you know, really simple examples, it could be something like you decide to sign up for a Spanish class, mm-hmm. but you really know in your heart, you're like, I'm bad at languages. Like, this is not going to go well. This is going to be a big struggle. And, like, scientifically, they found that chances are you're going to have a bad time in Spanish class, Mm. and it's going to be much harder for you to learn the language. Yes, exactly. Versus if you go into it, and maybe you've never taken a language class in your life, maybe you have struggled with languages in the past, but if you go into it with a sense of self-efficacy, I do believe that I can learn a language, um, you're going to have much more success. And this applies to relationships, um, especially with any kind of relationship that goes against the grain, especially with relationships that are challenging, you know, people Mm -hmm. who first delve into non-monogamy or any kind of non-traditional relationship, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of confronting emotions that can come up, you know, insecurities and jealousy. And so I think we found that the people that we admired the most, um, who were in non-traditional relationships had that sense of Self efficacy. Um, That sense of I can do this thing. Um, That Mm -hmm. sense that even though it may suck at times, even though it may feel icky at times, I know that I can get through this. I know that I can learn. I know that I can get better at communication. I know that I can get better at this. Versus, you know, someone who kind of goes into a relationship with the belief that, like, oh, this is going to be really hard. I'm a naturally jealous person. Like, this isn't going to work out. I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. it really does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
1: I think sometimes, too, it can take having had a success to be like, oh, you know what? I can. Especially when it comes to parts of ourselves changing. I don't want to say personalities changing exactly because I feel like people get... Kind of defensive about that well, idea, but you
0: do have to sort of relearn some of the things that you're taught from a young age. Yeah,
1: and I think that we are always changing through our lives, Absolutely. or at least I, I hope we would be. I hope yeah. I hope what I did, you know the decisions I made when I was sixteen aren't aren't that's me forever. Dear God, uh, no. <laughs> that, but that I feel like it makes me think of the example uh, Emily that you've given before on mm-hmm. the podcast about. Uh, so Emily and I were together in a monogamous relationship for two years before we opened that up to become poly. Yeah. Uh, and the first six months kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't so good. No. Uh, did you want to tell that story about the, uh, the like the about- gut reaction that you had? Yeah, to yeah.
0: It? I- um, I remember the first time That Jace went out on a date with a girl um, It just it, it Viscerally I felt sick to my stomach And it was really awful um, And then much later I guess Yeah six or seven months after that We were dating a girl together And I looked over I was in the kitchen Making something for them And the, they were making out on the couch And I remember just this Sense of compersion and it was truly There and I, I thought to myself Wow like the difference in the visceral reaction between the two was astounding, and I think I just needed to have that moment of realization that I can do this well, and this is a thing that I can feel happy about in my life, Um, and it changed the course of our relationship from then on.
2: Just to clarify, I mean, you're a bunch of, you know, poly-friendly folk, but are we familiar with the term compersion? Yes. Yes? That corner is... Awesome. That side's (laughs) shaking the head. Someone's shaking the head. We'll just say it real quick. Okay, (laughs) so... Uh, Compersion was coined by a commune from San Francisco in the 60s. The the Carista commune. The Carista commune, who were a little bit weird, but that's not about them. Um, (laughs) But it was uh, kind of a portmanteau of two words, of compassion and conversion. Mm -hmm. And they created compersion. And it's usually billed as like feeling the opposite of jealousy. It's kind of feeling happiness when your partner is happy, especially if they're happy, you know, with someone else. else. Yeah. and to be totally honest, for probably the first three or four years that I was polyamorous, I thought that this was just like polyamory PR. <laughs> um, like, like, I re- I, like I was like, okay, yeah, I get, I get logically, yes, that's great. Like that's great, I get it. Like yeah, I'll spout the same stuff back to my mom, you know. Like I get it, Compersion, conversion, conversion, conversion. Um, until I actually felt it for the first time, yeah. and it was actually a very similar scenario yeah. where I was watching a partner of mine kiss his other partner, and it was like, instead of this horrible, nauseating sickness, it was like fireworks. It was just like this pure happiness, and it was truly this, like, what the heck is this? This is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, So for those of you who are skeptics, it's a real thing. It does (laughs) actually happen. It does actually happen.
1: And in that same vein of having to have accomplished something to know that you can, uh, Emily and I, two years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, broke up. And continue to do this podcast together and continue to be like, oh, we're going to be friends. And I've said this before in relationships where it's like, yeah, we'll be friends. We'll stay friends, right? And it generally hasn't worked out. It's been a really trying friendship it's been something that's where you've eventually kind of like yeah that was sort of a transition to just never seeing each other again or saying hi at parties and whatever that was yeah. my experience of it
2: it's always like the worst friendships
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> right they're really awkward but i found the only, that the only
2: conversations i've ever had about the the nature of friendship have been with exes huh right yeah. <laughs> your friends don't question that shit uh, and i would say it, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
1: I would say it took it took Emily and I about six months. Again, I guess that's our magic like, time timeframe. Apparently, but it yeah. took us about six months where we went to a concert together. Yeah. And Florence af- and the Machine. Florence and the Machine.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and like as we were heading back from that concert, we're like, "Hey, you know what? This was this wasn't weird. Like this yeah. didn't suck. This no, was, was actually awesome. really fun." <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I actually feel like I'm closer. Now mm-hmm. to Emily, than I ever was before when we were together romantically. And yeah. I think that having experienced that has also made me believe that I'm like, any sort of relationship can become another thing. It helped me let yeah, go of, of the Transitions can happen. Right. Mm-hmm. In let, whichever way. Let go of that old belief of like, it's called a breakup because it's broken, or mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah. On to the next one? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's That's do it. Way. Oh,
1: this one's me, huh? Uh yes great yes this one is self awareness mm-hmm. so this I think this one another is another like uh sure <laughs> I'll meditate every day like fine uh, but this is kind of we want to be more specific about this that it's about you know understanding your needs understanding what you want but it's also understanding how to take care of yourself uh, and you know what that means is like how to know how much alone time you want. I've definitely had times in my, you know, I'll have a few different relationships and work and this podcast, and I never have any time to just play video games <laughs> or to just go to sleep early or read a book, right? Like I would have these times where I'm like, fuck, I haven't read a book in months. And it's so easy to, to feel like there's some nobility and self-sacrifice, that mm-hmm. like, oh, well, it's okay. I shouldn't take care of myself because I, I should be giving myself to all these other people. I mm-hmm. should be meeting all these commitments. And what ends up happening for a lot of people, myself included, is that you end up just being so worn down that you're not even giving them your best self. Yeah, you might absolutely. be giving them time, but it's not quality time because mm-hmm. you're not quality at, yeah. that, at that moment. No, I wanna, yeah. I
2: actually, I'm curious because I've gotten some really crazy answers, which I freaking love. But like, how do you guys take care of yourselves? like what is in your self-care other massage. than yes massage nice. is a good one massage is a good one what was that
4: cuddling
2: cuddling, cuddling is a good one love
4: yeah. nice. netflix yes right yes netflix, netflix and yourself. why yeah. the heck not anything Total
2: specific values. on netflix Solitude. Mm-hmm. Documentaries. documentaries documentaries great drama <laughs> yes. yes. Nice. i'm on the video <laughs> games, games train as well yeah, okay. yeah. what was that? i heard
1: another one dance Dance? Dance? Nice. Rhythms. Yeah. Oh, t- oh, yeah, five oh, rhythms. Yes. Heck yeah. yes. Heck yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Playing it's the piano. Time. Nice. Okay, oh, great. that's lovely. That right here. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: stop showing off. <laughs> so I think another important aspect of this is also being able to know, you know, as you get to know yourself better, and there's many different inroads to getting to know yourself, whether it is meditation or whether it is just time alone or through therapy or through any other kind of personal development work that you might want to do. Um, part of it is also knowing what your emotional bandwidth is. Um, and now, very specifically for people who are seeking out multiple relationships, this is very important to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because th- there's this uh, phenomenon called polysaturation <laughs> um, which is when you're at capacity, like especially For people, partners, yeah, especially people amount, who are yeah. very new to non-monogamous dating. Sometimes get very excited, and it's like I'm going to yeah. date everybody yeah. in this town. Seven go dates in seven and, days. Uh, you, oh you know. <laughs> I'm going to have five partners. It's going to be great. Yeah, um, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I always toss it out to people that it's kind of like you can have as many partners as you feel like you can have jobs, right? Mm. Not that you know, not that your relationship should feel like a job, but it's kind of <laughs> like, well, like. In theory, you're free to have as many jobs or as many commitments as you like. You know, Mm -hmm. just however many is making you happy and is making the people that you're obligated to happy. Um, And then that's probably the right amount for you. But you also have to factor in how much time to myself do I need? You know, how much do I need to care for myself? That's a whole other relationship that needs caring for. And so being able to have that kind of self-awareness to, to kind of be savvy to that will help you to be a better partner, to not neglect people, and especially to not neglect yourself as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for example, uh, as an example of how knowing this is important, I have a partner who works – Freelance, Like, she's always just on her laptop all the time. You know, I don't know if any of you know freelance people. Uh, I'm I'm one myself again. I was one for years before. You end up working, like, 24 hours a day every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of what she does. But she also has what seems like unlimited free time Mm -hmm. and unlimited, like, flexibility in when she can hang out and all of that. And so her ideal is to have someone around her all the time, like 24 hours a day pretty much, to be with somebody, but working. Like, I'm here separate, and you're just here, so I can do I'm that. Shoulder and, rub and then, right, just a little yeah. shoulder rub, and then, and then I'm back, I'm working. That that's her ideal. Whereas for me, I'm someone who, I like doing that every now and then, but I would much rather have some quality one-on-one time together, and then have a night by myself to play video games. Or even just with my roommate to play video games, or something like that, that's just like, I don't have to... I'm not trying to be 100%. I'm just kind of being me, just chilling, Mm -hmm. uh, that I want to have that balance. And so in discussing that, at first it was a little bit difficult, but as we were able to get more clarity on what we each wanted and what we each needed, we were able to see, like, okay, cool. Like, I do need to have more of this alone time or I'm going to get frustrated with you. Mm -hmm. And she needs to have that I'm-around-people time, which meant that we needed to be more proactive about her planning that time with other people Mm -hmm. that's not me and not just kind of by default assuming her plans are going to be with me and blowing other people off or just not making those plans Mm -hmm. so again kind of both of us getting clarity on that allowed us to get what we need Mm -hmm. whether or not it's from each other or you know what parts of it are from each Mm other got it
0: I wanted to talk quickly about um, communication and being aware of your own personal communication style and how that also mm. will help things. Because yeah. mm-hmm. Dedeker and Jason, I talk about this a lot, but Jason and I tend to be what we coined—I don't know if we coined it—we coined, it. yeah, re- coined it. Yeah, we coined it as spewers. It's and chewers. So Jason and I tend to like be very emotional and, and kind of have to get everything out there. You externally
2: process. You verbally process. Exactly. you got to talk it out. Yeah. Well,
0: Dedeker likes to kind of like mull over chew. something. She's a chewer. A chewer. So she thinks about it. And I'm in a relationship right now with a chewer, and I am a spewer. And so it can become a little bit challenging trying to figure out and navigate those murky waters at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to be able to have the self-awareness of what you are and in order to kind of compromise your own emotions during mm-hmm. those times of communication, or potential fights, or yes. whatever.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just becoming aware of that. That if you're a chewer, and someone who's a spewer starts talking to you about Their thoughts as they're processing them. Exactly. To you, it's like, oh, these are fully thought out thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, what the fuck? This isn't what I expected from (laughs) them. Yeah, I know. It's the worst. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Whereas understanding that they're a spewer, you're like, okay, okay, this is just part of the process. They're just getting there. Exactly. Whereas on the other side, it's like that, that a chewer. Won't want to talk about it, and as the spewer, it's you're "Perfectly totally like, formed. You're like, yeah. Why aren't you talking to me? Like, I don't know what's going on. I don't. Yeah. I want to be part of this process. Exactly. So understanding that can give you both permission to to do that.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious who who feels like they're a spewer type of processor. That's the spewing section <laughs> yeah. over there. All the spewers. All the spewers. What about and chewers? Chewers? chewers Everyone over yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. so you guys yeah. Yeah. We're
1: a lot of here. very intellectual
0: people in <laughs> this room.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Emily and I will try to keep our spewing under control. Just, I don't like, know about
2: saying intellectual. I don't, cause no, I don't I meant, think implying that spewers are not intellectual. No, that's but, true. Just yeah. like, of course. Yes, yeah, so, okay, well, now we've pissed off the spewers. <laughs> okay, we got to move on.
3: Oh, Sorry.
0: boy. Oh,
2: boy. All right. Just saying it like, yeah. <laughs> We want to get okay. it like, all out there really quickly. Okay. Shall I take us to the next one? Yes. yes. Do blame. it. Okay. Um, this might put me a little bit on my soapbox. Um, please. By I all means. So number five um, was a sense of compassion um, or a willingness to build a sense of compassion. Um, I feel like, honestly, particularly in Western culture, particularly in American culture, uh, I, I really don't think we're raised with a big sense of compassion. Um, we're raised to be very independent, which is a good thing all in and of itself. You know, we're raised to have big dreams and to go after those dreams and to grab them by the balls or horns or whatever body part you want to grab them by um, and make them their own and carve out your little corner of the world that's going to be yours. Um, and that's fantastic, but I think that kind of the dark underside of that is that it's also very competitive. You know, our culture is extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not a lot of emphasis on cooperation. There's not a lot of emphasis on compassion. Um, and when it comes to non-monogamous relationships specifically, like, competition is not sustainable. to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. You know, it's just not sustainable. You know, if you're looking at a partner's other partners as your competition, you're going to be really unhappy. Absolutely. (laughs) Like you're probably going to make everyone really unhappy. Um, And, you know, it doesn't mean that you need to be a doormat. It doesn't mean that you can't advocate for your own needs. It doesn't mean that you can't have needs. Um... But there has to be this willingness to bring the sense of compassion, to bring a sense of empathy, to bring a sense of flexibility. Um, you know, a standard example, something that happens all the time, is like, you know, maybe Jason and I are just hanging out, Netflixing and chilling, like actually Netflixing and chilling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like his part, well, like one of his other partners calls up because she's sick, she really needs help. That um, in that moment, you know, if I see her as competition, it's like no, stay here with me. Like, Mm -hmm. this was our plan. Mm -hmm. Like, you're supposed to be here. But in choosing to have that sense of compassion, recognizing that this is someone who's in need, who needs something probably more than I do, that it frees you to be able to be more compersive. And more flexible. And more flexible and more generous in that. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's been my experience. Absolutely.
1: And I would say that this... Also, can extend not just to those extenuating circumstances of, like, oh, you know, my partner's in a car accident, I've got to go help them or they're sick or, or something like that. But it can even just be logistical compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, a personal example that happened to me recently, Are you ready for this? Oh, oh God, okay. So, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't prep me on so this. I know, I, <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, so, I, I hadn't seen Dedeker in like five, six months or something yeah, like that. She's been out of the country for a while. Since july Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, since July. I hadn't seen her and just a few weeks ago she came back to the States. And I got to see her again. Super awesome. We got to spend a week together. And then one week after that her partner from Turkey, from Istanbul, came to the U.S. to visit for her book release and for all of that mm-hmm. stuff who she had just spent like four months with. <laughs> And I was definitely brought up some stuff of like you know because she went, and went up to came up here actually to Northern California with him mm-hmm. and was staying with him, and you know not not being with me during that time, it was this like what the, you, were, you were just with him for four months i haven 't seen you in like six months, what the hell, mm-hmm. but understanding that like yeah, I know, I get it though, but he also this was the one time that he could get the time off from work to come from mm-hmm. Istanbul to be here to support her on her book release. She was really excited for the two of us to be able to meet for the first time. You know, there's, there's all these other things that I was able to be like, okay, like, this might not be my ideal, but I also understand, and I would want the same thing if it were reversed, right? Mm-hmm. So Is that your spewing my... sound? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my, like, holding back the spewing oh, sound. Yeah, okay, that's okay. got it. Like, huh. well, I appreciate you I holding
2: m- back your spew for me. I just grossed myself out. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh.
0: Well, another. Day. I just well. Thank, well, to... thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're welcome. You did well,
3: Jace. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I mean,
0: <Awesome. laughs> um, something that Jace got to do was actually meet his metamor. Which, if, I don't know if anyone is not uh, familiar with the term metamor, anyone know what it is?
1: Metamor? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, your partner's partner. Um, So Jace's metamor is Dedeker's partner in Turkey, for example, and they met uh, in person for the first time. Um, Mm -hmm. And that kind of helps. I mean, we all have been there. We think about our partner's partner and say, oh, my God, they must be more beautiful than I am. They probably, like, are six foot two in a model or whatever um, and super intelligent as well. Um, and, And it's lovely to be able to actually meet a person and kind of, put a face to a name and say, like, hey, you're a real person, I'm a real person, let's kind of talk and meet one another, and, I don't know, get rid of all of those worries between each other. Yeah, no, I, and I think yeah. that's,
2: that's actually, I really, you know, I encourage my clients, I do this in my Absolutely. own life, I encourage all my friends to try to actually meet your partner's partners, you know, and have your partners meet each other. You know, they don't have to be best friends, there doesn't have to be any expectation, but it does help with that compassion thing, because mm-hmm. if some, as we've learned, if someone is just a concept, um, and doesn't have a human face to you, it's a lot easier to be it's mean to them, scary. Yeah. and to dehumanize them, exactly. and to treat them like crap. Um, Even versus, if it's just in your own head Exactly yeah, exactly. Versus if you've actually met them And seen like Oh you're a human being Like I am With needs and wants and fears And yeah. joys And all those things
1: mm-hmm. so. I see a hand
4: Okay I have a question Yeah How do you deal with Power imbalance Or like Hierarchies of power When it comes to like my female partner Mm -hmm. um, meeting a male or like you know what I mean because interesting
3: like gender dynamics
4: yeah exactly like Mm -hmm. how do you like how do you negotiate the societal kind of welcoming of one and kind of like disembracing of another I say I
2: like disembracing that's a new one um (laughs) Is it, it? Is it? Uh, I know something that I've seen happen with a lot of clients is where a male partner is a lot more comfortable meeting a female partner than meeting another a male, male partner. partner. Is that kind I of the dynamic it, going on?
4: I think it's more of the opposite dynamic. My female partner is more intimidated by meeting a male I see. partner. I Interesting. And I can—I I have to feel like I have to be able to understand that the power dynamics are kind of stacked against. Yeah, of course, you know, of, of course. And like, how do I? How do I kind of bridge that?
2: You know what I've seen to be the most effective. Even just having awareness of that being a thing is the first step. Is a great first step. Um, if there's any way to bring that to a humorous point, as in all of us are able to like acknowledge that this is happening and laugh about it um, and say fuck the man, or not fuck the man, but fuck the status quo. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know that might be that might be a starting point. I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I was just. I mean, yeah, this, I mean this is it's a challenging one. It yeah. is something that comes up a lot and we i feel like all of us have our own like sort of soapboxes that we like to get on specifically about bisexuality or pansexuality or anything like that um about this sort of inherent cultural belief that a relationship between a man and a woman is somehow more
2: more real more, more thre- serious more
1: threatening yeah. but also more serious it, which is why in a lot of relationships i think why you see so many relationships where a man's okay with his female partner having yeah. other female partners, but, but not, not other males. Male.
0: And it's... Yes, the one Venus ball well is like, exactly, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's,
1: it is... I guess my, my, the thing I would say is just being aware of that conversation and having that with both of those partners, not even for the purpose of all of that, but just putting that out on the table yeah. of, of trying to clear the air about that, that just because... He's a man doesn't mean that this relationship is more important than the one with you, or less important, or whatever, right? Right. Whatever that or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, that is a tricky one though because it's so ingrained in us. it's In in our, we just recently did an episode about polyamory in TV and film, Mm -hmm. and that theme comes up a lot. Yeah. Of. Of These
2: gender dynamics and power dynamics in gender, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Of that, like, that, like, that, like, that like. somehow a relationship between a man and a woman is the most serious of any kind of relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heteronormative. Well, you know what? I almost want to make an argument. What? That a relationship between two men would actually be the most like serious in well, this way?
2: it carries, like, the most weight, both right, positive and negative, mean, yeah. especially in media like, right. portrayals, versus yes. a
0: relationship between two women. Yeah. You know? Women can have their girlish fun, but if a man is with that another man... That tends to man, be the overarching, like, yes.
2: the portrayal, not exactly. the reality. No, right, the exactly. Not the reality, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, but if a bisexual us. man had sex with him, another man, it's like, oh, well, he's just gay and hasn't fully figured that out yet, or mm-hmm. he's transitioning slowly to that or something. Mm-hmm. But there is... Whatever it is I, culturally, yeah. We, yeah. we put this importance on male relationships. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, I, I don't
2: know.
1: Um, sorry, I know. Like this is yeah. you totally like triggered this whole thing that we talk <laughs> about so much. It's, it's great. An interesting
0: one, uh-huh. good. Uh, yeah, well,
1: I yeah. I
3: would say that we're lucky in the Bay Area because mm-hmm. one approach might be to um, spend more time with your female partner in. Uh, in the lesbian community, um, yeah. and you know, maybe invite your male partner to you know come and be part of a, a predominantly lesbian gathering where he's not the primary, yeah. he's not in you know in his. Um, it is primacy positions, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: lungs, so that can be equal as you know. I, I guess like he's the fish out of water, yeah. you know, I mean, or the fish without a bicycle, or whatever it is that they, they say. I think no, no that's a I, I, I like
1: the spirit of that though. That if there is something where, like you said originally, the kind of a power dynamic between the two, regardless of who it is, but whoever feels more disempowered there, it can try to have the it on a bit, yeah. on their turf, yeah. somewhere where they feel more confident and yeah. comfortable. And the one who is a little more confident about the meeting might be willing to take that extra step to be like, okay, I'm going to go outside of my mm-hmm. comfort zone and my social group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a thought. Hope that's, yeah. Hope that's helpful. That something? Yeah, good luck. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs>
2: of course. Yeah. Does anyone else yeah. have problems they want to? <laughs> <laughs> We're open. All of us. We're open. <laughs> um, Shall we move on to, to the next yeah, one? Yeah, let's go on to okay. number six.
0: So number six, having guts. Slash balls, slash chutzpah, whatever slash you ovaries. want to call it. Ovaries. ovaries. Thank you. What, Thank yeah, you ha- what have you. Can I exactly. Ask,
1: has anyone come across the book That Takes Ovaries? is anyone. That's a book? No, that's it's a book. A, it's, a, it's a book that's just specifically a book of like, stories of really courageous, amazing things that women have done. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I, I read it in college and was like, oh, that's Super cool. cool. Like, but it's called That Takes Ovaries. I'm wow. into it. Yeah. I'm
2: into it. Check it out. That's well, awesome. I don't know if they
1: have it here. We could look through. You the have
2: no, exactly. You have whatever potent reproductive organ you want to identify, <laughs> exactly, with. or not, whatever, yeah,
0: or guts or whatever. Um, and we like to use the term be unapologetically poly,
1: or um, or unapologetic,
0: well, unapologetic.
2: Wow, <laughs> <No>. I <know. laughs> that, that deserved that.
0: That was <laughs> correct. <laughs>
2: to say that. <laughs> Just now, he's so proud of that one too. I love that one. Yeah. Um,
0: so right when I was becoming polyamorous with Jace for the first time I told my mother about it and I was like well like gonna... 30 seconds later yeah, you told your exactly. mother Yeah, it because like, we talk about everything and and I was like well mom we're gonna we're gonna You know start dating multiple people And I'm going to date him and he's going to date me But we're each going to date other people as well And she just kind of called me on my Bullshit she's like you have no conviction About this and I was pissed at the time But looking back she was absolutely Correct Um, and Now obviously I Help run a podcast on polyamory So I better have some balls About it Um, or ovaries As it were but yeah I mean I think we definitely tell people to be as unapologetic about it as you possibly can, because say to people like, "Hey, this is what I am, this is what i 'm doing," and be okay with it mm-hmm. and yeah don't don't worry that i don 't know I mean everyone is going to have their opinions, mm-hmm. and everyone at one point is going to say no i don't like that or yeah. that's fucked up or whatever."
2: That was, um, I mean, that was a big part of my own journey is that I spent three or four years and I call it my trial and error period, but it was more like my failure and bigger failure period, (laughs) um, where I was very apologetic about wanting something that wasn't monogamy. You know, I was still kind of feeling out what exact flavor of non-traditional relationship I wanted, but I was extremely ashamed of it. Like I wouldn't be totally upfront with people on first dates that that's what I was looking for. You know, it took me forever to come out to people. Um, I was really, really scared of rejection, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I just couldn't stand the idea of going on a date with someone and, like, maybe telling them about this weird relationship thing that I'm interested in is going to make them reject me. And so so, I don't know know, what my end game was. I just thought, like, I didn't think it all the way through. And it ended in, like, a lot of heartbreak and a lot of disappointment on both sides. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was the moment, like, about three or four years in, like, the moment that I finally was like, okay like I'm going to take ownership of this now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm just going to say like, this is what I want. I'm going to be upfront with people. I'm going to be unapologetic. Um,
1: you were so close. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> To the world and to any prospective dating partner that this is what I want. And that was finally the moment when, surprise, like, actually people who wanted the same thing found me. Yeah. Um, I can't say that after that moment everything was perfect and, like, nothing ever felt wrong ever again or, like, I never made any more mistakes. But that was finally the moment where it was finally, like, so much love and so much happiness and so much trust and so many good, good relationships and so many really good lessons actually came into my life. Well, was finally the moment that I that I got some guts and said like, you know what? Yes, like this is what I want. This is what I'm doing. Um, yeah.
1: And and I would take that even a step further from just saying right at the beginning, like, hey I'm I, I want to have polyamorous relationships or ethically non monogamous or whatever term you want to use for it. But also In terms of how you talk to... How you talk to people in your relationships Even after that point Uh, This is something I've I've found comes up a lot When you're dating someone Who's new to polyamory uh, Who is... Right? Who who maybe they've heard a little bit about it But this is their first time trying it Or maybe you're the very first person That blew their mind That this was even a a thing that existed, (laughs) right? That there's this temptation... And I think part of it comes from that fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. And also part of it comes from this idea that, like, well, if I ease them into it, they're going to be more into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really that's, where this, that's where this concept of being unapologetic. Oh, ha, God damn it. Uh, every time. I'm going to keep using it until you're <laughs> numb <laughs> until, to until it. There's right? no- <laughs> <laughs>
2: Until you try and to you're just it.
1: gonna go home and start using it like it's a normal word, <laughs> oh, and I will have won. Lord. Uh, no, uh, so where, where this concept of being unapologetic came from was that was more about if I'm dating someone who's new to polyamory, I would tend to try to sugarcoat things, mm-hmm. try to like gently ease them into the concept that I'm also dating other people, or or maybe they know about the people I'm already dating. But if I go on other first dates, or I'm interested in other people. I would kind of, you know, you kind of gently sugarcoat that. You try to, because you don't want to freak them out, right? But I found that more often than not, that's achieved the exact opposite of what I wanted and backfired. Mm. Because then they either feel like you've been keeping things from them, which is yeah. not good, and not generally a trait of healthy poly relationships, uh, or it's this shock later down the line, and it causes the relationship to end when you're already really invested, and it hurts so much yeah. more than if you had been clearer about that from the beginning. That I think people have a harder time actually with change in a relationship than they have with just a relationship being a certain way. Uh, An example of that that was given to me, uh, I guess this was in a, a blog that I read, where a guy was talking about, you know, he... He uh, started being polyamorous with his wife and she will only have maybe a couple other partners and they'll date for a long time she does more sort of like fewer longer term serious Mm -hmm. relationships and his girlfriend he met at a sex party at a dungeon and she's constantly at sex parties like that's her world and what he was saying is like if my wife were to just all of a sudden go to a sex party or want to do that that would be a hard adjustment Mm -hmm. I'd figure it out But that would be like I don't know how to deal with this I don't know how to process this Whereas the other partner Who's done it the whole time Whatever It's not a big thing Because that's always What I've associated with her Mm -hmm. It's that change That's actually harder Than the reality So that's kind of where This concept of being Unapologetically poly uh, Unapologetic Is to just Right from the start. No,
2: no, this is not normal. This is not normal. I
3: can't, <laughs> can't let you get just, away with this.
2: Uh, right? is <laughs>
1: to just, you exactly. know, if I were using this term from the first time you met me, it wouldn't be a change. You'd You're
0: right. Be... <laughs> absolutely. But now it is. And now it's no really hard you. to
1: take. I know. But, but right, it's, it's that, that idea that um, being as consistent as you can as early as you can, even if it seems like it might be more shocking for them in the first place. I'm seeing so many hands. I love this. Uh, I'm gonna I'm going to go here. And then up, oh. and then up front and then in the back there. That's the order I saw them. I'm sorry if that was wrong. Was there another one too? No. no. Okay. Great.
4: What What is it? What What is? Wait. Am I next? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 So what if someone is rekindling something from when you were previously um, monogamous or like you know just experiencing that? So how do you kind of mesh those worlds of like I was once all about this, but now I'm about something else. I'm unapologetically who I am, but I still remember what it felt like to be all about you and kind of like rekindling, like how do you kind of bridge those words? Like like getting back
2: together with an ex that you used to be monogamous with? Exactly. Okay. Uh,
1: I mean, that's just, it's a lot of letting go of some old things. That's
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I no, you I know mean, you can do I, it. not impossible. Yeah, okay. no. actually, I I have a friend of mine who um, uh, she broke up with her ex after several years together, like seven, eight, nine years together. Mm-hmm. Um, she was dating for a while. She got introduced to polyamory or non-monogamy by another partner. Kind of started dating non-monogamously. Met back up with her ex. Um, And they did rekindle their relationship. And the thing was that she found that their relationship worked a lot better. Non-monogamously, because like a lot of the things that had not worked or that had been too much pressure or that had been deal-breakers, the pressure was off a little bit when yeah. they were both dating multiple partners. So that was something that she found. And then she fortunately also had the same experience. I imagine if one person doesn't have that same experience, it might yeah. be a little bit... Monopoly would be challenging in that to, situation. Yeah, a little sticky. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I do want to clarify, too, that with... You know, Change is the thing that's harder than just Accepting that relationship as it is That doesn't mean we can't ever have change And we won't right like you are Going to have change sometimes and it can be a little Hard but just I almost feel like acknowledging the fact that It is hard with Mm. you know with that Example of like just being really clear With each other about I know this is going to be tough Because we have all these habits from before That now we have to change Mm -hmm. Even just that might be enough To empower you to to be able to make that change to a different thing, yeah, uh, I saw him right up here. Yeah,
3: yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think like it's like number six, like with an asterisk, right? This is kind of like free checking with an asterisk. The reason is, right? And the reason is, like, I think that for people who perhaps don't have other people who they're accountable to, i.e., children. Right I mean we still live in a society That doesn't fully accept us This is a lot like being gay Yes was not that long ago mm-hmm. And you know I mean from personal Experience I can tell you that there's still A lot of prejudice against oh, us. Absolutely. Yes. And, absolutely And so while I think it apo- uh, Unapologetic yes. <laughs> would work In a dating c- Scenario with people That maybe don't have children mm-hmm. Right and don't have exes Who might be vindictive mm-hmm.
0: No of course Or might yeah, yeah. take
3: them to the car you know might take them to yeah. t- task publicly right so like like it's it's a little dangerous the free checking with you know the $35 overdraft let me clarify
1: something about that actually yeah is that like our our, our stance on being out so this kind of being unapologetic and being out are a little bit different actually and we I guess we should have clarified that Mm -hmm. so thank you for for bringing this up because absolutely like depending on your situation it might not be safe To be out at work or with all of your family or your partner's family Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And that's something that there's a lot of great resources about how to evaluate if that is a safe thing for you to do. Uh, And I would highly recommend uh, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff Mm -hmm. for that. She's done a lot of research and she works as a a professional expert witness specifically for those kind of custody cases and that when it gets really shitty. Mm-hmm. But she also has a lot of great advice about how to avoid getting there in the first place. Mm-hmm. So this being unapologetic is more about in the places where you are out. Not, it's not the same as being like out and proud. It's more about being consistent with your partners about that or being consistent with the people you are out to about not giving them more details than they might want or, you know, than they need, but also just kind of being clear about it and not kind of trying to, like, withhold some information until later. So but thank no, you for bringing that up. Yeah, that's be a safe great,
0: about it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: yeah we,
2: we always, like, urge people, if you can come out, do so. That's sure. great. But if it's not safe, like, don't. No, don't take yes. the risk. Like, yeah. the, definitely the biggest threat right now to the poly community are these custody battles mm-hmm. that yeah. keep cropping up. Like, that's, that's been the, the big thing is, mm-hmm. you know, a judge who, a vindictive ex- husband or ex-wife, yeah. um, kind of uses their ex-partner's non-traditional relationship, it could be polyamory, it could be being kinky, it could be involved in the BDSM community, um, right. uses that as leverage for trying to get custody of the kids, yeah. and some judge who has no idea what the heck your lifestyle is, automatically assumes like well, you're doing this weird thing with multiple partners, you must be like having sex in front of children, or... Yeah. And, put, it works. and it works. It does, that's yeah. the unfortunate thing, is that it works. Yeah. Um, you know, So that's, it that that's why it's society. good that there's people like elizabeth chef who is an expert witness to come in and say no these are the findings of 15 years of research that this isn't unhealthy um but there's there's not enough people like that in the world yet there's not enough research like that in the world yet unfortunately um so yeah so that is the very serious issue facing a lot of poly families and that's also the reason why um most people with children are not out at all yeah. mm-hmm. you know at all um which is which is an unfortunate uh kind of scenario to be in.
1: Uh, I saw some other hands did we cover it or, or did you yeah. We yeah.
3: covered it. We heard at the Berkeley Poly conference from Elizabeth Sheffield Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lovely. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: Excellent. she's she's awesome. Really yeah. Amazing. She's great.
2: She was she was on our show last year and and uh, we're going to be having her back actually to kind of cuz she's revisiting her her findings of her research. And Mm -hmm. she's going to be back on the show to, to talk about that. Yeah. I love talking with her. She's awesome. Was there somebody else that we missed? Did we get everybody who had their hands up? Looks like it going once, going twice. Okay. Uh, to the last one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number seven, you guys, this is my favorite one. (laughs) Um, so the things that I've seen in the most effective non-traditional relationships, uh, and monogamous relationships too, honestly, Mm -hmm is that each person in the relationship has a, a little bit of Zen. Um, and I say Zen not to, not to proselytize for like Zen Buddhism or any particular deity, but kind of more the concept of Zen. Um, that usually it's, you know, people have some kind of emotional management practice or they have some kind of mindfulness practice. Um, this can be related to self-care as well. But kind of, and, and, you know, I feel like the little bit of Zen is kind of the through line that ties together all the previous six, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of having this sense of mindfulness, um, having this sense of inner peace or like some inner, um, like an inner foundation and inner grounding is what helps you to have compassion is it helps you to have self-awareness. It helps you to have that self-efficacy, um, and, it, you know, this one is also, again, it's the one that's hard to pin down. You know, um, for me, you know, uh, uh, a completely essential part of my practice in having non-traditional relationships is my own personal meditation practice. If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to do this. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be meditation. Any Any kind of, like, emotional management system or any kind of, self-knowledge system that allows you to kind of take a step back when you're in a moment of feeling jealousy or feeling fear or feeling anger anything that allows you to take that little step back to be able to observe yourself Um, sometimes this is connected to the idea of there being you know i I know they do this in 12-step programs but this idea of being um, connected to something bigger than yourself and that could be the relationship that could be your own personal growth as a human being um, But the idea of something that takes you out of those moments that feel shitty, (laughs) essentially, Mm -hmm. and to be able to realize, you know, that this is for my personal growth or I'm learning something here um, or I'm able to get through this, I'm able to come back to a foundation, I'm able to ground myself again. Um, I don't know what your guys' access point has been for this.
0: Yeah, I mean, my uh, partner runs 6K a day and that really, I mean, so often we hear about, you know, all of the stuff that you get from... Working out and it really is true It will help you just kind of get through those Moments and sort of put it out there on the field Or wherever um, I do yoga Every day um, and that kind of Helps me return to my breath and return To sort of the groundedness that I need in order to do this in a Mindful way mm-hmm. Jace? Uh,
1: Yeah I mean Yoga is a great one mm-hmm. I found Especially I, I have another partner who just Recently she, she has um, You know will, Would often get Depressed and upset and put that on me Uh, You know put that on her partners To solve that problem for her And got into doing yoga Like six days a week Pretty intensely and it's been like a night And day difference uh, in terms of How she feels and she said to me You know of all the things she's tried before It's the one thing where she gets to Kind of stop all those Thoughts that are are going on Over and over Uh, I found for me Though what's actually been the most effective is when I do um, extreme like of consciousness writing uh, by hand, mm-hmm. not on a computer. That uh, that for me, whatever it is that triggers me to kind of let go of stuff, have it down on paper so it's not swimming around in my head. It's yeah. kind of whatever it is that helps you
0: get it outside still of yourself. those mm-hmm. thoughts yeah. a little bit
1: because yeah. uh, it is really easy to get trapped in this emotional whirlpool or like an emotional feedback loop. Mm. Something that, uh, Dedeker has talked about before that she's heard on meditation retreats that she's been on is that the feeling, like the actual physical feeling of an emotion, if you don't keep feeding it with thoughts about it only lasts. And the numbers vary from like eight seconds to 15 or Mm. like there, but it's, it's very short, shockingly short amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and that, but what we do is we feel it and then we think about it and then we feel it again and we think about it and we end up in this cycle forever. So having that mindfulness practice, whatever it is, having enough practice with it, and this one's hard because it's not like a quick fix right here, but having that be a regular thing that you do allows you to, when those things come up, it's almost like having a, a circuit breaker in a feedback loop where it pops and you're like, oh, right, I'm doing that thing. <laughs> I need to take a moment to do my mindfulness, whether it's writing or, you know, sit and breathe for five minutes mm-hmm. or or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and we also live in this fun day where there's lots of apps and things that can help you do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had this thing called a spire. Spire is what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it clips on, yeah, your, it on yeah. your pants or, or in your bra and... Is it it the
0: leaf thing? No,
1: it it tracks your breathing. Oh, okay. Like, it it measures, and it's uh, kind of amazing that it works at all. Like, while you're moving around, you'd think it would totally throw it off. But it measures it, and it goes to your phone, and it tracks whether you're in a relaxed breathing pattern, a focused breathing pattern, or a stressed breathing pattern. And you can set it to notify you... It sends you
2: a very stressful notification oh, to let you know stress. that you're calm. That you're <laughs> stressed! I, yeah, it would, it would
1: like buzz and notify me when I was being calm, and I'm like, I know, but now I'm not. I turned, I turned that one off. Uh, but I did keep it, so it would notify me when I was doing stressful breathing, which is characterized by kind of short, irregular breaths. Uh, and... I would find that being mindful of it would help you be aware of that and and calm it and be able to have some control over my breath, which allowed me to have control over how I was feeling. And I found that number one time when I would get the most, like, because you can graph your day, it was driving. Mm -hmm. Stress, 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 stress it was driving. (laughs) Most of the rest of my day was pretty good with a few exceptions, Mm -hmm. but it really made me aware of, like, oh, okay, this... You know, we all talk about yeah, driving stressful, but seeing this is actually having a physical effect on my yeah, body yeah. was also cool. Anyway, yay technology! I saw, see a hand. Yeah.
3: I think there's two things in here that I wished I had learned at your age. But one was, what am I feeling? Mm-hmm. What you know, what is really going on, as opposed to I'm stressed, I'm freaked out. You know, is it sad? Is it you know, is it hurt? Is it angry? What is it? And then second don't believe everything you feel just
2: like yes. don't believe everything you think yes. and that goes back to that point you were making about emotions you know are very, very transient if you don't see them, the mm-hmm. negative emotions yes, um, yes. so yeah. you know I'm just very gratified to see such <laughs> no, wisdom no yeah. so, yeah. I mean do oh, we look very young you're what 16 <laughs> oh I like her yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I actually uh, yeah, to, to take it to a more serious note um that was one of the most valuable lessons I learned in my entire life was that feelings aren't facts and your thoughts aren't always true. Yeah. Like such a simple realization, and just like opens up so much possibility mm-hmm. and so much space
1: yeah, yeah truly and a amazing. surprisingly threatening idea for a lot of people yes. Yes. yeah, who
0: want their feelings to be absolutely Always true. Yes, true. Like, very solid, this yes. is true, yeah, this is real, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, a cool example that I heard about that in a psychology book that I read, and I wish I could remember the title of this one, but it was talking about. Uh, the physical sensation that Mm -hmm. you have when you're falling in love or or you you meet someone you're very infatuated with, right? Like your palms might get a little sweaty, your your stomach, your stomach gets all queasy. Like your mouth might get a little dry, right? Like those, your heart's racing a little bit faster. sounds awful, right? (laughs) Well, here's the funny part. If you, if you were to also list to the symptoms of, like, a T-Rex coming around the corner. Your palms get (laughs) sweaty, your stomach twists up, your heart starts beating faster, your mouth gets dry. It's all the same physical symptoms. Yeah,
0: just think of it in a different way. And there have actually
1: been studies showing that if you are having that physical response... Uh, running on a treadmill is one of the studies that's been done, and then also doing like a roller coaster or a scary movie, mm-hmm. and then seeing someone of the gender that you're attracted to, you will rate them more highly on how oh. attracted you are because your mind is interpreting your body's reaction as oh, like, wow. "Ooh, I must pee into this person because well, I'm feeling all these things."
2: What if you fall in love with a T-Rex? <laughs> <laughs> then, then what? I I good luck like with the that. Then of, you're just this like the best, best both both most worlds. purest <laughs> love ever. <laughs>
1: it's the hottest attraction I haven't ever met had. that many T-Rexes actually <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay well we gotta start wrapping things up here before we kind of take it home is there are there any other questions yeah. comments you guys anything? have been so
0: incredible a little,
3: little story
0: comment about energy. a story comment yeah. Yeah. okay That's connected to what you're saying my personal experience was at one point I was
3: absolutely jealous after opening mm-hmm. devastatedly jealous I went to a festival and I found myself at this festival one night completely with this rage in my belly and I tried to say okay but what it really is what it really is what it really is what it, and it went down 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 and became conversion it became oh, sexual yeah. pleasure thing yeah. that my partner was making love at that time in another part of the county Wow.
2: So wow. it seemed that I was, it came to like my mind thinking moment, about, thinking about the T Rex
0: and the love. And the laugh. <laughs> 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 really energy well. is energy. Yeah. Energy
1: yeah. is energy. Yeah. It's
2: the story you connect to. The energy can bring you one yeah. direction yeah. to the other. Mm-hmm. So even the feeling itself, I mean, if you bring it to the body, then you can somehow feel it.
3: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah! that's amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Unapologetic. Exactly. Okay. This guy.
1: Any other non? I'll bring you to all the shows. You're my <laughs> <head> guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Anybody else before we take it home? Okay. okay All right Opportunity lost So um, <laughs> If you guys Want to learn more About this I happen to have Just written a book um, It is Phenomenal but, um, I'm, I'm it just came biased out, But it's It just really, came out On really Tuesday came out Two days yeah. ago um, And it's my baby And it's been amazing um, I have a question oh, Yeah Please I just, It came to me
4: <laughs> What What is one Characteristic That you would say That is the like Kind of like highest regard you have over yeah. someone new. Like, what is one characteristic of somebody that can just kind of blow you off your feet or like take your breath away?
0: What is a personal characteristic that they would
4: have? Yeah.
2: Oh, if they're wearing suspenders. <laughs> that's my personal one. <laughs> I think that's uh, actually. true, I don't know though. if that's a characteristic. Yeah. <laughs> I think op- open-mindedness. Open-mindedness. Yeah. Open mindedness? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. and And suspenders suspenders.
0: (laughs) i think for
1: for me it's the if something comes up where a person kind of shows that they understand that their thoughts aren't necessarily real Mm -hmm. like that that's real to me like that level of just being able to let go of having to have all the answers even about yourself is Mm -hmm. just like Mm -hmm. i think we could get along i think we could have a real conversation Mm -hmm. uh yeah, I guess that'd be for me. Do you yeah. have a real answer besides suspenders? I'm
2: I'm trying to think, but no, it's all suspenders up here. Like, no, I no, I think it's that. It's it's for me. It is the last one. It's like the mindfulness one. Mm-hmm. It, you know, if I feel like someone has this like self awareness and. Uh, I think a willingness to question things. I think yeah. I really respect that. A willingness Knowing to that question they don't assumptions, have all the whether it's their own assumptions or other people's assumptions, that really that really yeah. blows me away. Yeah,
1: I yeah. was sure to talk about meditation in my first OK Cupid message with with Dedeker years ago. <laughs>
0: Good job. Knew how to speak clearly. It worked.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, okay. Oh, We wanted to shout out Paul. Our roadie he is Paul. our roadie, and uh, our lovely friend who is helping us here today and on the entire tour. Um, also to the Octopus Literary Salon. Thank you Yay. so Woo! much. Woo! This
2: has been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you, Oakland. Thank you, Oakland. Woo! <laughs>